Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Appreciate you joining us here today as we take a look at issues impacting rural America and talk about news that is impacting agriculture and our farmers and ranchers. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you along for the conversation once again here as uh, we have a great show lined up for you. Coming up in segment two, we're going to dive into international trade and market access with someone who has a lot of experience in that area. Mary Scott is going to join us, and she is starting a new ag trade consulting firm. We're going to learn more about that and uh, talk with her about international trade market access. That's coming up here in segment two of today's program. In segment three, we'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at Stone X, as he'll have some thoughts as we near the end of the month. A lot of news about Chinese stimulus, how is that impacting the markets, and much more. We'll talk to Arlen Suderman coming up after the bottom of the hour. And then in segment four, I had a recent conversation with the incoming CEO of Indigo Ag, Dean Banks. We're going to talk to him, uh, hear a little bit of that conversation. You can find it on the uh, AOA podcast channel. We'll talk more about that and hear a bit of um, my talk with Dean Banks coming up here at the end of the program today. Kicking things off, though, joining us for a conversation about news that is making its way out of Washington, D.C., managing editor with AgriPulse, Spencer Chase, is joining the show here today. Spencer, great to have you on the program with us and hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Appreciate you having me, Jesse. Well, let's start with the latest that we are hearing in terms of the appropriations battle on Capitol Hill. Obviously, we've heard the news and we've seen the uh, the can kick down the road, so to speak, here to new March deadlines. Are we getting much movement in terms of uh, trying to get the uh, the budget figured out and get these appropriations bills settled there on Capitol Hill? What's the latest you hear in Spencer? Well, the the short answer is is no, and and the longer answer is is no, with probably a little more uh, flowery verbiage tied to it. At this point, <laughs> we, we're not seeing a ton of activity on that, and that's mainly because uh, you know once they get to the levels where they are now, they've got the top line agreement figured out. Next thing to do is to determine, okay, from that top line figure, how much do each of these subcommittees get to spend? Uh, have yet to see announcements on when those figures are going to be rolled out, uh, which kind of leads me to believe this desire to do individual appropriations bills probably is uh, is not going to uh, end up happening. Uh, we do have a couple of cascading deadlines. So uh, whether or not congressional leadership decides to move, you know, two separate appropriations bills with that March 1 and March 9 deadline, uh, or if they just move everything in one big omnibus, um, you know, we'll have to determine that at the beginning of March. But at this point, the House wasn't in session this week and the Senate was handling nominations. And so not a ton of appropriations activity to, to report. Well, of course, uh, we got to figure out the appropriations here first before we can really make meaningful moves on things like a new farm bill. And I know there's uh, plenty of contention and disagreement at this point in the farm bill discussion as well, Spencer. What's the latest you're hearing there? 
Yeah. So at this point, we're kind of seeing some appropriate or not some, excuse me, not appropriations, some uh, kind of proposals get floated out uh, about how some folks maybe will want to uh, deal with that budget, uh, you know, that budget constraint that they're working on in this farm bill. One of those things is, uh, you know, Senator Debbie Stabenow, the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, looking at an idea of maybe tweaking a crop insurance rule that would allow more folks to be eligible for the stacks program that is uh, very uh, familiar with folks in cotton country. But if you elect to participate in stacks, you cannot participate in ARC and PLC. So uh, kind of there's that trade-off as well. And some, some Republicans have uh, signaled a little bit of concern about that. Uh, we spoke with uh, Senator John Bozeman, the ranking member of the Ag Committee for our Daybreak uh, uh, podcast this morning. And he's uh, basically saying he's kind of feeling it out right now. Uh, he didn't take a position one way hard, uh, you know, one way or the other. Um, I did have the chance to talk with Senator Jerry Moran from Kansas this week. He did take a position and say it's a terribly troubling was the uh, the verbiage that he used. And so still some things to sort out there. And, and again, this is all to get to the point of how in the heck are they going to pay for this thing? And, mm -hmm. and that's still the big unresolved issue at this point. And that's a lot of what I've been hearing as well is that, you know, there's really no new money for a farm bill. So how do we figure this out? And there have been all these various proposals floated. I've heard, you know, this talk about maybe using commodity credit corporation funds potentially, but there's some thoughts that legally that can't happen. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ground to cover. It feels like here in terms of trying to get this farm bill done, uh, anytime soon ahead of, of course, you know, we're into presidential election season now, Spencer. Well, of course. And, you know, one of the other ideas that's been floated is potentially looking at, uh, it's a very in the weeds, very intricate process, but basically, uh, rejiggering the way that uh, USDA does its benefit calculation for the supplemental nutrition assistance program. Sure. And uh, had, you know, heard from Secretary Vilsack this week and somebody uh, brought that up to him and he just flatly said, do you want to pass a farm bill? Because if you try and do this, there's not going to be any democratic support for a farm bill. And so that's the political trade-off that these folks are trying to figure out is, you know, can we pursue idea X, Y, Z and still lose all kinds of one party support in the process. Because with the way that margins are looking on Capitol Hill, you're not going to be able to pass a farm bill with the support of any one party. You're going to need bipartisan support. Spencer, a couple things real quick. I know as well, we've been watching, uh, you guys have been following this uh, bipartisan tax deal. Can you give us the details on that? Yeah, so at this point, it's making its way through the committee process. Uh, this is an, uh, an idea to extend some provisions of the, uh, you know, the 2017 tax bill that uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was moved during the Trump administration. A lot of those, uh, you know, through some budget calculation gimmicks on Capitol Hill, a lot of those proposals or, or those provisions set to expire in 2025. And so we're kind of beginning on Capitol Hill to get those extended. And we did see last week a 40 to three vote to move a proposal that would extend things like Section 179, 100% bonus depreciation, as well as the child tax credit, which is a big priority for Democrats. A 40 to three vote is nothing to shake a stick at, but at the same time, we're not sensing the same reception of that bill in the Senate. And so so we'll have to see how exactly uh, the Republican leaders of the Senate react to this bill since it was Republican leadership in the House that negotiated with Democratic leadership in the Senate. 
That's Section 179 uh, portion I know widely used in agriculture by many folks. Spencer, great stuff. Before we let you go, I know uh, you guys there at AgriPulse have an event coming up and more. Can you give us a uh, plug for that real quick? Of course. We've got our AgriPulse Ag and Food Policy Summit coming up. We're going to be looking at uh, ways to revitalize rural revenue, as we put it, and looking forward to that event coming up March 18th in Washington, D.C. Folks can learn more about that at agripulse.com. We've got some early bird registration rates going on now through the middle of February. And folks can also stop by agripulse.com, look at our uh, free trial offerings, just kind of get a one month free trial for all of our uh, subscriber only content that we offer. Fantastic. Well, again, we do appreciate the uh, the insights and thoughts as to what we're watching on Capitol Hill. And uh, hopefully we can uh, get some things moving here rather soon on some of these issues. And we do appreciate the time, Spencer, and uh, look forward to getting you back on AOA again here in the future. For now, we'll let you go. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jesse. Spencer Chase, Managing Editor at AgriPulse, joining us here today on AOA. All right, coming up next here on the program, we're going to dive into international trade and market access and Take a look at where things stand there as we are entering into 2024. We're going to talk to an expert in that area, Mary Scott, and also learn about her new ag trade consulting firm. That is coming up next. We're back with more here on AOA, Agriculture of America, on the way right after the break. Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. 
victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Well, let's turn our attention to international trade, market access, and more. And we want to have a conversation about all of this as we are in the early throes of 2024. Joining us right now, someone who has a lot of experience in this area, Mary Scott is with us on AOA, and Mary, thanks so much for joining us on the program. We appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. Really, really glad to be here this morning. Hope you're doing well, too. Well, you have just uh, established a new firm, a new ag trade consulting firm. And just for starters, can you uh, tell us a little bit about this and and your areas of focus uh, before we dive into the heart of our conversation today? Tell us a little bit more about things. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll get to Petra Global Affairs here in a second, but I'll also give some background on how I found myself in the trade world in the first place. So Grew up on a farm in Nampa, Idaho, thought that I was going to farm the rest of my life. And as the story goes, mom and dad got out of the business and I was left with an animal science degree and had to, you know, figure out what those next steps were. So I ended up working as a microbiologist for the state of Idaho doing brucellosis testing. And I did a lot of international movement for livestock and really got interested in, you know, how you know, how commodities move, how livestock moves, and the regulatory and policy stuff. Um, Knew that I wanted to try my hand at lobbying and found myself in D.C. a couple years later. And then, you know, I really thought I was going to do domestic stuff um, and ended up working for the American Seed Trade Association on their global programs and really developed an interest and passion for the global economy and trade. So it was really my time at AFTA that you know, helped set up where I'm at today. And during my time there, I worked on USDA's cooperator programs. And for those who maybe aren't familiar with some of the terms that I'm throwing around, those programs are grants that focus on market access. Um, There's some promotional funding as well, but they're Mm -hmm. primarily trade associations apply for those funds. you know, so since leaving ASTA, I've been able to start my own firm, Petra Global Affairs, where I'm really working with smaller trade associations um, that are looking to engage in those programs. And, you know, it was during my time in the association world where I was like, hey, there's not a lot of folks out here who are offering services on just managing these programs. And the associations usually run pretty lean with, you know, maybe one or two people managing their trade stuff. So, 
it's really focused on providing services um, to those associations that maybe can't hire another full-time staff but could use an extra set of hands. And then I do everything from grant writing and management, program development, some technical and regulatory workshops um, and workshop management as well. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, I- exciting stuff and, uh, and busy times for you and glad that uh, you can kind of expand on, on all of your uh, experience uh, over the years. So, well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about international trade and market access. And this is always an important issue, Mary. And as we start 2024, what are some of the areas that are top of mind for you as we look at market access internationally, et cetera, et cetera? Again, like I said, this is always a very hot issue and a very important one. So what are some things you're watching here early in the year? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's a couple things that I really have my attention on. One is the global political arena. We are up for, I think the Economist quoted 76 elections taking place around the world this year. So when you think about all of the new folks that are either going to be taking the reins leading a country or folks that are maybe getting reelected, there's a lot of room for new changes in policy you know, whether it's trade related or domestic, and I say domestic because as we're trying to get into other countries, we have to watch what their policies are doing as well. You know, there could be regulatory barriers related to sustainability or nutrition or what have you. So really paying attention to what's going on geopolitically right now. And I think that's something that is going to be very important moving forward this year. And that ties into the next piece, which is really watching those technical barriers to trade. You know, there there's constantly technical barriers that are keeping folks out of certain markets. And I think it's also worth noting that, you know, I'm not gonna dive into every single one because every commodity is different. <laughs> a lot of them, you know, everyone has some kind of phytosanitary issue out there or technical yep. barriers. So you know, knowing the markets, knowing where you're trying to go, and then just really being aware of what are those roadblocks and what are those barriers that are keeping you out of the country. I think moving forward, those are going to be really important pieces. I think things like that, and you know, you mentioned this is uh, the largest election year in, in history. I, I think just all of these different barriers and, and things like that, it, it really adds to just some of the complexities uh, when it comes to expanding market access and things like that. And I know we've seen, you know, programs introduced here and things like that to try and expand market access. We're always working on that. But at the end of the day, there's still plenty of hoops and hurdles to, you know, work through and complexities in terms of expanding various market access, isn't there, Mary? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's nonstop. There's always something to, you know, turn your attention to and really dig into, whether it's regulatory, geopolitical, or even just social issues as well. Yeah. And I, I think too, you know, I think this is something that maybe we we lose sight of at times, you know, when we hear about, you know, how we haven't, you know, expanded trade deals and this and that and things like that. But a lot of times, and you could probably, you know, attest to this from your experience, that that regulatory environment and things and just all the complexities there, it does take time to get certain things to move. It's not an overnight process, is it, Mary? No, no, not at all. You know, it takes many years. And unfortunately, it, I mean, I think it's just kind of how the system works. It It is unfortunate because it can take a lot of time, you know, you know, the stuff that's going on in Taiwan, they're going to be removing tariffs on peanut products, which is great, mm-hmm. but that's been in the works 
I think since 07 and it's not going to phase out until 2026, I think. Don't quote me on that exactly, but I think that's pretty close. Um, but, you know, I mean, when you think about how long it takes, even if you get something implemented, you might have, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years before your ideal situation is even ripe. Mary, talk about some of the work that your firm, your new firm, Petra Global Affairs, is going to be looking to tailor to USDA cooperators. You you mentioned that term a little bit ago. Uh, talk about some of the work that you're looking to do here in the year ahead in that area. Yeah, Absolutely. And as I mentioned, you know, with Petra, it really is focusing on how can we assist associations and how can we assist cooperators. And, you know, having spent time in the association world, I am happy to be as hands-on or as hands-off as clients need. So really making sure that those programs are managed and that they're getting the services that they need. So that can look like anything from you know, functioning almost like a staff person, really being involved in working with membership committees to maybe hammer out some trade um, trade strategies. And it can be as hands-off as maybe managing a workshop, a one-off workshop, or, you know, helping with some of the financial compliance or helping set up for an audit. So it really depends on what the association needs. And that was really the goal was, okay, these are, you know, groups that are already running on relatively lean budgets and lean staff. What can we do to really make things work for them? Well, great thoughts. Uh, we got a minute or so here before we run out of time, Mary. Uh, final thoughts from you. What are some things that folks uh, can take home to remember here as we watch, uh, you know, in the year ahead and looking at market access and hearing about things and looking at international trade flows and more? Uh, what are some things you would tell farmers and ranchers to maybe keep in mind as they're hearing some of these various news items throughout the year and, and watching things, et cetera, et cetera? What would you tell folks? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think keeping your eye on the bigger picture, really watching those elections and watching what countries are doing, you know, obviously focusing on stuff here at home, but realizing that there's going to be things that we might not be able to control. So really watching okay, what are the policies in Europe going to look like in the next few years? What's going to happen after these elections? You know, I think staying apprised on the geopolitical landscape, especially now, is going to be more more important than ever. Well, Mary, I'm sure folks uh, are working maybe with a small um, association or need some help uh, in the uh, areas that uh, your new firm is covering and more. I'm sure they can reach out to you very easily online, can't they? How can they reach you? They absolutely can. So my website is PetraGlobalAffairs.com and all my contact info is on there as well. Fantastic. Just go to PetraGlobalAffairs.com. And we have been talking with Mary Scott here today about her new ag trade consulting firm and international trade market access. Mary, really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on AOA. And we'll look forward to getting you back on the program again in the future. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Really good talking. All right. Uh, good stuff there. And, uh, you know, again, uh, like Mary said, international trade and market access, things of that nature. Got to sometimes keep the big picture in front of you. That is uh, for sure. All right. Coming up next here on AOA, we're going to talk markets and more as we are getting close to wrapping up the month of January already. 2024, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. He joins us on the way after the break here on AOA.
Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention? On Friday, February 2nd, stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Well, the grain and oil seeds are lower this morning, led lower by wheat and beans. Corn coming along for the ride. Bean meal is also sharply lower, while oil is off just a couple of points. Now, this week's rally in the commodities did run into headwinds overnight as the speculative funds stepped in to defend their short positions rather than get out of them. Now, we've noted this week that the rally seen in the food and energy commodities had less to do with the change in the fundamentals, but more to do with end users and speculators growing uncomfortable at these low prices with the sheer size of the short positions, especially in the grain and oil seed complex, and that's at a time at elevated geopolitical risks. Now, they feared a headline that could create a panic exit of those speculative shorts. Much of that geopolitical risk was tied to Red Sea freight risk, where Houthi rebels have been attacking ships they were utilizing in the Suez Canal. Now, the fears eased a bit today on reports that Chinese officials asked Iran to help rein in the attacks on ships, which were hurting its trade with Europe and the Black Sea region. China's leverage is that it purchased more than 90% of Iran's crude oil exports in 2023. Now we just have to wait to see if Iran acts to curb the Houthi aggressiveness toward shipping interests or not as we head into the weekend. Today's action indicates that the commodities still lack a story of their own sufficient to sustain a rally. Now, beans and bean products are lower this morning. That's reflecting the drop in processing margins, a weaker Brazilian basis, rising Argentine production ideas, and sluggish export demand. Brazil's soybean basis has been falling as harvest advances, closing the window for U.S. exports earlier than expected. Last week's soy sales fell to just 20.6 million bushels and do remain 18% lower than last year at this time. Board crush margins slipped again by a dime to just 77 cents per bushel. Soybean meal exports last week were a marketing year high with outstanding sales up 13% from a year ago, but that has not stopped futures from heading toward the recent low. While the dollar is sharply lower and crude oil prices, they're a few dimes off this morning, however, still at eight-week highs. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And my electrical was deemed unsafe. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is a safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes. And Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed. And we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. 
Keeping America's Farmers and Ranchers Informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, it's hard to believe we're already almost to the end of the month of January 2024. Feels like it's been flying by. There has been plenty of movement in these markets and plenty of news to watch that has been impacting grains, livestock, and the outside markets. So let's take a look at where things stand and have a conversation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Arlen, welcome back to AOA. Great to uh, talk with you again and hope all is well. Yeah, it's good to be back with you, Jesse. And uh, wow, January is going by fast. January is flying by. And, uh, you know, these markets, uh, I've been watching uh, a lot of economic news this week, both uh, on the U.S. side, but also out of China. Seems like that's one of the big headlines that has uh, been working its way throughout much of the commodities and the livestock trade and energies and more here this week. I think that's a good place for us to start. What's some of the latest you're see seeing in terms of all of this economic data that has been out this week here, Arlen? Yeah, China is obviously a big factor. They're the world's largest importer of commodities, and, uh, and they're also a piece of the puzzle in the geopolitical risks that we have there, some of it positive, some of it negative for, for grain and oilseed prices. Overall, in their economy, you mentioned that Earlier this week, uh, I believe it was on Wednesday, were after trading closed in their markets, they announced that they were going to reduce the reserve banking requirements, reserve funds requirements that banks have to keep on hand by about 50 basis points. That means that banks have more money to lend out. The objective was to inject about um, about a trillion yuans into their economy to try to stimulate their economy. And, and this corresponds with a comment of, of a little bit of rare transparency that we had been saying before. I've been saying this for a long time, um, that they've been holding back on stimulus because the U.S. is tightening or has been in a tightening mode. And if they stimulate too much, that weakens their currency relative to the dollar, and they want the world to see the yuan as a strong alternative to the dollar. And so that's what I'm back. Well, that's what he basically admitted, and he said, we're going to have more freedom this year to stimulate our economy uh, because the U.S. Central Bank is going to pivot toward lower interest rates. I'm not convinced that we were. Wall Street seems to be, that's the word of the Chinese official saying that. So mm -hmm. they did come out with the stimulus. Question is, will it work? We saw then on Thursday when their markets opened, their, their stock market exploded higher, big gains that they had, 3 4% gains. Um, and uh, then we thought, how are they going to follow that up? Will there be follow-through on that? And today it wasn't. Um, one of one of their major stock indices was up about a tenth of a point. The other was down about 1.1 percentage points. So uh, a little bit too little too late is kind of the attitude of the markets right now. And in fact, most of the, the buying the strength that we saw on Thursday was due to the, the state-owned enterprise stocks going up. And China had been 
trying to use some of the revenues of the state-owned enterprises to try to boost stock prices, to try to make things look better. So China's still got a lot of problems with their economy. Now, on a related note a little bit, some of the strength we've been seeing in our grain and oilseed prices this week had was not really anything fundamental, so to speak, related to supply and demand. But backdrop a little bit, Friday's CFTC report showed that the major speculative funds had record to near record short positions or sold positions in the grain and oilseed complex. And that always kind of makes them nervous because they think, okay, we've ridden this down. We've got a lot of profits. What if some headline in the Middle East causes everybody to try to unwind those shorts at the same time? Maybe we ought to take a little profit. End users, the same thing worried about that. So they're starting to get a little coverage. So we started working our way higher. Well, overnight, uh, China apparently sent word, according to official statements, sent word to Iran, said, hey, you need to get control of the Houthi rebels and tell them to quit attacking ships in the Red Sea because that's hurting our trade. They, it's hurting their ability to get grain out of uh, Ukraine. It's hurting their ability to trade with Europe, which is a major trading partner with them. And uh, so based on that, we'll see if the Houthis listen to them. Um, but based on that, we're taking some of that uh, geopolitical risk premium out of the market today with both the energies and the grain and oil seeds working their way lower. Yeah, Arlen, uh, I appreciate the the backdrop to this here because it really has been something to watch with the managed money crowd here, especially in the grains and oil seeds, uh, because outside of these issues about the only other news item really in the trade this month has been south american weather and i know a lot of farmers uh, are looking at some of these uh, futures in corn and soybeans on the wheat side a little bit of frustration here in the u.s as these prices have come down and really the the managed money crowd has i don't want to say manipulated the markets but they've they've definitely had their influence in the grain markets here ha this month haven't they arlen well they've definitely had their influence that you're exactly right particularly when you put that much money together with the algo computers that trade momentum and chart signals and they'll take things as far as they can taking it too far in both directions add volatility you know a two or three cent move suddenly becomes a 10 or 12 cent move or more and uh, that that's what they do i mean when you have the market move a lot one day and, and open interest doesn't change hardly at all you know that algo the day trading algos have been moving the market and we've seen a lot of that price is still a function of supply and demand but is modified by the flow of money it's a statement that i make over and over when i present to groups and it changes the level at which we manage supply and demand right now the the net default for these funds is still commodity deflation I do expect that to change as we get maybe in the second or third quarter of this year. Um, and I do think that we're going to see a return of inflation and pressures and the funds at that point are going to say, why are we short the commodities when we need to be owning the commodities is to protect our portfolios against inflation? But that's not now. We're still, as we see, when the headlines change, the default mode is to go back to selling off again. Arlen, I've seen some social media posts about some poorer-than-expected soybean yields in Brazil here as their harvest is ongoing. There's been some of this chatter uh, about some of the crop conditions in, in parts of South America, but it is still 
relatively you know early in the harvest and we got the safrina crop to get into the ground so i know that's one story here that could potentially impact these grain markets but also too I almost wonder if the U.S. acreage conversation isn't already starting here, even though we're at the end of January. Talk about those two factors maybe in the market a little bit. Yeah, a couple of things. First, the acreage. We have to lose corn acres or we're really going to build stocks next year. We need to lose several million acres of corn in order to avoid building stocks, depending on how the winter corn crop goes in Brazil. And so corn needs to go lower relative to soybeans to do that. We're going to lose some anyway, it looks like, because just the corn-soybean rotation, this would be a year for more soybeans, fewer corn acres relative in the rotations in the Midwest. But we need to lose some more. Those would be primarily in the plains and in the south. The other thing on Brazil, I, I hear what you read on. And remember, we kept hearing it was a total crop failure, basically, on social media throughout much of the year. So be careful about social media, as I know you know. But the, what I watch is the cash market. How's the cash market respond? And as you know, when farmers, they forward price a certain amount every all the time uh, ahead of harvest and when you come down to the harvest which they're at now and you find out that the crop just isn't there even worse than what you thought you thought oh man i forward price too much and you pull back selling and basis really jumps in the middle of harvest you'll have basis strengthened and if it's bigger than expected and the farmers say, oh, the crop is here overall, then he sells. He says, I better sell more before the market realizes this. We've seen a collapse of the, ca of the cash market in Brazil much faster than what they've been dropping here to the point where when I checked and I haven't got this morning's prices from our China office yet, um, but yesterday uh, soybeans shipped into China for February shipment uh, coming out of Brazil were $2.14 a bushel cheaper than soybeans coming from the U.S. Gulf. Uh, and coming from the Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest is $1.86 more expensive than what was coming from Brazil. So Brazilian soybeans are very, very cheap relative to the U.S. soybeans, and that market is collapsing, indicating the farmer there is selling He's not. He's indicating there that the crop must be there. That's, I think, a very strong indicator that we need to respect. Arlen, we got a little bit less than a minute here. A couple notes for you in the protein sector, uh, cattle and hogs. Anything you're watching there as we round out the month? Yeah, cash market on the cattle is much stronger than what was expected uh, uh, this week, up one to three dollars, depending on where you're at. Basically, we got the first carcass data now showing the impact of winter weather. Steer weights down ten pounds. That's still heavier than last year because last year we were dealing with some winter weather as well, and they were down fifteen to sixteen pounds. But we are seeing that big drop in the product availability, and that's showing up. Cash market strengthening, the board responding to that. Always insightful and uh, appreciate the conversation. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Arlen, thank you for joining us on AOA today. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. Once again, Arlen Suderman with Stone X joining us here on Agriculture of America. Coming up next, we're going to hear a portion of a uh, recent conversation I had with the incoming CEO of Indigo Ag. 
Dean Banks. We'll get to that on the way next. Back with more AOA right after the break. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Teachers are dynamic leaders, shaping a new generation. They bring a variety of perspectives from diverse backgrounds, innovating how they teach to prepare students for our fast-changing world. Achieving this takes skill and expertise. They're tireless explorers, creatively discovering a universe of solutions, telling stories, experimenting, inspiring, mentoring, connecting cultures, and connecting with each other. Leading by example. Experience the unique joy of helping students thrive. Teaching is a journey that shapes lives. Are you ready to begin? Explore teaching at teach.org, a campaign supported by the U.S. Department of Education, teach.org, and one million teachers of color. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, Stefan Florescu, a wheat trading expert with CHS, will provide a 2024 wheat demand outlook. Stefan, U.S. wheat exports are at the lowest point since the early 1970s. Do you expect international sales to pick up this year? Yes, I do. But it's easy to say this after the lowest export number in 50 years. International sales are a function between other factors of supply availability and price competitiveness. Three years ago, we had low production in northern plains and in the last two years, a crop failure in southern plains. As a result of this dramatic crop in production, U.S. wheat priced itself uncompetitively on international markets. Now, it is still early to say, but with normalized crop conditions of winter wheat and with benign weather for spring plantings and crop development later in the year, we could see a larger exportable surplus for next year and a spike in international sales. What's your outlook for U.S. wheat demand? Domestic demand for U.S. wheat is very constant, particularly for milling wheat, and remains steady internationally as well. It benefits from the fact that the U.S. wheat quality is considered good and highly valued by customers across the globe. U.S. wheat has to fight to recover market share lost in some traditional destinations, such as Central America, West Africa, or even Asia, where other origins gain access lately after a few years of limited and less competitive U.S. supply. I believe consumers will be happy to receive offers from the U.S. again, but marketers will have to make a strong effort to compete with Black Sea wheat into Central America, Baltic States wheat into West Africa, or even Canadian wheat into Asia. 
We've been talking with Stefan Florescu, a wheat trading expert with CHS here on Around the Table. Stefan, thanks for joining us today. Jesse, happy to be here with you today. And thank you for joining us Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Well, a few days ago, I had a chance to sit down for a conversation with the new and incoming CEO of Indigo Ag, Dean Banks. We learned about his journey to the role and his outlook for the company and sustainable agriculture as we move into 2024 and beyond. You can find this full conversation on the AOA podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. But we're going to listen to just a little taste of the conversation that I have with Dean Banks, the new CEO of Indigo Ag right now here on AOA. Uh, this has got to be an exciting time for you and for the company, isn't it, Dean? Well, it's it's a bit of a a life journey coming to coming to center for me. I uh, I don't know if if you know this, if your listeners do, but um, I grew up in Southwest Ohio. Uh, my dad was a factory worker, but he grew up on a farm in Kentucky, and uh, that farm is still in the family, about 300 acres. He grew up raising tobacco and a sustenance farm, and uh, we kept it active all through my childhood and spent most of my nights and weekends or weekends and summers uh, down home uh, work, working on the farm. And so uh, having spent time in life sciences and tech and you know, scaled food with Tyson, uh, obviously working with farmers a lot there, too. Um, this is really it's really a lot of parts of, of my life coming to center. I've been on the board with Indigo for about a year and a half and have just been incredibly excited about what they've been able to do. Uh, in a variety of their products and platforms for farmers. And so it's just a lot of a lot of things in my life kind of coming together uh, to, to make this opportunity possible and um, can't think of a better way uh, to spend, spend many years to come. Well, uh, let's talk about your new role here, taking over to lead Indigo Ag here. And as you mentioned, you know, your extensive background on the farm and in agribusiness and obviously with Indigo, a, a lot of great work they've been doing with sustainable agriculture and all their different products and, and looking to help farmers as we continue to feed the world. What's your outlook for the company here right away as you take over as we look at helping farmers uh, in the sustainable agriculture realm here, Dean? Well, 2024 is going to be a year where we get to deliver. Uh, so much has been invested in the company and building out this 
world-class biological portfolio um, that has tons of value to farmers. We, we need to just get that in our farmers' hands. We've, we've been going direct some. Uh, we've also had a lot of success uh, working with our partners to get our products in more fields and in more farmers' hands. And so we've embraced uh, a lot of agribusiness players, uh, Midwest Landis, uh, a variety of others. Um, and for biologicals, uh, the portfolio looks fantastic. You know, new nematicide uh, coming to market. Um, that that just we we really have to execute on that side for the year. Um, on the carbon and and carbon sequestration and on the source side, those products are now working. We're taking a lot of the data burden out of the front end, uh, allowing farmers to get get enrolled very quickly. Carbon credit prices are actually looking like they're going to recover, and we pass on you know vast majority of the profits to farmers whenever. Um, they sign up to to um, engage in our in our carbon program, and then we've also made it so that now, whenever uh, a farmer decides that they want to engage in uh, a variety of sustainable practices, they can choose then how to market their products with this new program we call FieldFlex. So they can uh, you, you can you can all take that to um, to market either as a carbon credit, but you can also sell it into the sell your product in the supply chain with sustainable attributes and get get a premium for the crop that way. This FieldFlex program kind of Make, gives a lot of flexibility and opportunity for you to go wherever you can make the most money on a year-to-year basis. So that's that's in the execution bucket. Um, and we've, we you probably saw the announcement, we raised a fair amount of money. So we're fueled to execute and deliver this year. And then in years to come, it's, it's where I get most excited. We've got about 30 new biological products coming out in the next 30 months um, on the digital tool side, bringing in a lot of technology um, to make it easier for the farmer to engage with us and and, and allow them to do a variety of things better. So um, it's just a really exciting year, both in executing and delivering and making sure that every farmer who wants to use our products has it in their in their, in their reach, and then also setting the company up for uh, innovation and more products coming to, in, into farmers' hands for years to come. Dean, I know as well, uh, a lot of farmers, um, I shouldn't say a lot of farmers, but some farmers, there's of course, myths and misconceptions out there about biologicals. Is that something that you're going to work to kind of change that story and, and, and work with farmers to, to share the truths behind biological products in your new role as CEO of Indigo Ag? You know, I, I hope so. Um, a good amount of my background, uh, you know, aside from obviously growing up with a uh, farm in the family, I served in the Marines for a while. I spent a good amount of my time in life sciences and, um, deeply understanding the benefits and opportunities that biologicals can play in a, in a portfolio of products that farmers use. There's, there are, you know, there's a variety of, of inputs that everybody chooses from on how to make their crops grow better, how to, how to fight disease. The yeah. scientific rigor that Indigo has brought to the biologicals effort and looking at what nature does naturally and then just using the biological microbes that, are, that, that occur naturally in the soil, but in small, small situations to take that to scale it's really a compelling story because it's it's what nature does to make plants grow better, and and we think that we think that it's not only the future, but we think it'd be complementary to what a lot of the farmers are doing, and there's there's a variety of, of benefits. So whether it's uh, drought drought protection or uh, nematicides, there's there's microbes can play a tremendous um, role in farming and, and making soil more healthy, you know, versus less while you're doing that better. Well, I think on the flip side of that, adding to the benefits, uh, I think just farmers having more tools in the toolbox than ever is so important here as we continue to try and feed the world. Right, Dean? 
Absolutely. And and also showing up with research and studies and information like Indigo has spent so much time really understanding where these things work and, and where they don't. So your agronomist or your, your industry partner, your retailer or your, your sales rep will be able to help you really understand where this is going to be applied and where it can add the most value. And we're also happy to say where not to. We, we, we know the margins that farmers have to operate in and we know the environment they operate in is, is very um, very tight and they've got to do, they've got to be really precise and we don't want people spending their money on things that aren't going to work. But, but in, in contrast, if we can do things that can add value and really help, uh, we're going to step in and, and try to make that really clear and simple to understand. Once again, that's part of my recent conversation with the incoming CEO of Indigo Ag, Dean Banks. You can find the full interview on the AOA podcast channel. Just search for AOA wherever you stream and download your favorite podcast and you can find that full interview. We're out of time here on the program today. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention on Friday, February 2nd. Stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal.